Welcome to the Willow Resources Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Brannigan, coming to you from the remote rural corner of Northeast Oregon, Willow County. And in today's episode, we're going on a bit of a journey together as I explore a really fascinating source of electricity, microhydropower. Okay, right off the bat, you might be thinking, that doesn't sound like it would be terribly fascinating, but microhydro and its potential to change our community is actually really exciting, so just stick with me. Now, before joining Willow Resources, I of course had heard of things like solar, hydro, and wind power, but my knowledge about these energy sources was pretty baseline. And at the time, I was unfamiliar specifically with the concept of microhydropower as a renewable energy source. But here at Willow Resources, we have a for-profit subsidiary called Community Solutions Inc., or CSI. The team at CSI works to give our community options over the sources of their energy by installing locally owned and operated energy projects such as solar panels and microhydro plants. Suddenly, I was hearing a lot more about things like microhydro at our Monday morning meetings. Now, I'm far from an expert on alternative energy, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and I wanted to learn more about it. Let me explain. I bought a house recently. In my new house, I rely almost entirely on a large Blaze King wood stove for all my heating needs. I have an oil heater too, but it's really just there as a backup. It's funny transitioning to wood heat or biofuel. I've never had a wood stove before. Growing up, I lived in a house with electric forced air heat, so I didn't spend much time thinking about where my electricity came from. I just knew not to touch the thermostat or I would get in trouble. This transition to biofuel has been interesting to me because instead of just passively flipping a switch and adjusting my thermostat, I now have to haul wood and build fires. Heat has become this tangible physical thing, whereas before it was something I didn't pay much attention to until I received my power bill. All this to say, it's got me thinking a bit more about renewable energy and where my electricity comes from. After doing some research, I discovered that here in Wallow County, our electricity is supplied by three different companies. Idaho Power covers just a small area in Hills Canyon. The county is also serviced by a small company out of Lewiston, Idaho that I had never heard of before, the Clearwater Power Company. But most Wallow County residents get their power from a large company, Pacific Power, which is owned by Pacificor. This is probably just me being naive, but until I started working at Willow Resources, I guess I just assumed that these companies have always been the suppliers of electricity in this area. Until I learned a fascinating fact about my community, a fact that sent me down a bit of a rabbit hole. Apparently, up until 1953, Willow County was producing power completely independently from any major electric company. For roughly half a century, our power in this isolated rural community was being exclusively supplied by several locally owned and operated hydro projects. I actually learned this information from my old coworker at Willow Resources, Matt King, the former Renewable Energy Project Manager for CSI. So my name is Matt King. I'm the, Re- the Renewable Energy Program Manager uh, with Willow Resources Community Solutions, Inc., uh, which is the for-profit subsidiary of WR, and I've actually been in this position for just shy of a decade, uh, working with the Renewable Energy Program, doing a number of projects from solar to hydro, some biomass thermal, and managing a, a team of folks trying to get these projects done. Matt now works at Hartwood Biomass, a small diameter restoration sawmill in Wallowa. But before he left, I had him sit down to walk me through all things power production and microhydro in Wallowa County. 
I wanted to know what the difference between hydropower and microhydropower is, as well as the history of power production in the county. Why don't we rely solely on microhydro anymore? So without getting too technical, what is hydropower and how does it work? So hydropower is energy that is captured by water moving downhill. Uh, pretty much, you know, you can imagine when a stream is moving down a hill or there's a pipe full of water moving down a hill. If that were to hit your hand, it would have some energy behind it. It would push your hand back. And hydropower is the conversion of that energy into uh, mechanical or electrical energy. So how would you define microhydro? Yeah, microhydro uh, is just a different scale of hydropower. So oftentimes when you think of hydropower projects, you think of big dams and big reservoirs and a lot of environmental impacts that come with those dams. Microhydro is really sort of the opposite of that. It's taking situations where there's, in often cases, there's already a pipeline that's delivering water to irrigators or delivering drinking water to a town or an existing canal that you can tap into and basically using those resources that did have an environmental impact when they were first put in to be sure, uh, but adding hydro to them doesn't incur any additional environmental impact and also can create environmental benefits. So microhydro is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Using a water wheel or turbine, we can convert the energy in flowing water into useful mechanical power. This power is then converted into electricity by an electric generator and added to the already existing power grid. And the best part is that microhydro is a way to harness renewable energy without negatively impacting the environment. You see, the biggest issue with major dams is that they impede fish passage. Salmon, of course, are a migratory fish that are born in freshwater, grow to adulthood in the ocean, and then return to the freshwater stream in which they were born to spawn. Even dams with passage, such as fish ladders, are a source of mortality to salmon. But microhydro is different. Microhydro plants are built along existing canals and irrigation ditches. Some water in the ditch is diverted at a screened intake point. These screens prevent living creatures, like fish, and debris from entering the pipeline. That water is then run through a wheel or turbine in a powerhouse and diverted right back into the ditch. So water is not being consumed and fish are kept safe from the turbine. It's kind of a win-win. Before 1953, electricity in Lao County was produced solely from locally owned and operated microhydro plants. So my question is, what happened? So Lao County actually has a really unique uh, history in terms of electricity production and hydropower. And interestingly enough, the first hydropower projects in Lao County were not uh, electricity. Uh, they were producing just mechanical energy and driving woolen mills from the sheep that were raised here for the late 1800s and into the 1900s. And those sheep would get shorn and uh, their wool would get turned into fabrics at these woolen mills that were actually driven by hydropower, basically just taking energy out of, out of a river or a stream and putting it into useful mechanical energy for those woolen mills. And then right around 1908, 1910, in Joseph and Lostine and Wallawa, they figured out that they could add electricity to those existing hydro projects 
that were basically just being used to make uh, make woolen fabrics and started generating electricity. And so the first electricity in in all the towns in the valley was from really small projects that were at these woolen mills. And then pretty quickly, there were a few other bigger projects that went in. One that's at the the old brick building by the Joseph City Park mm. is actually a hydro project that was put in in the 19-teens. And then by 1920, the Wallawa Falls hydro project was put in and at the head of Wallawa Lake off of the East Fork of the Wallawa River. And between those two projects, the one in Joseph and the one at the head of Wallawa Lake off the East Fork of Wallawa, all of the electricity for Wallawa County was supplied by those two locally owned and operated projects until this kind of crazy confluence of events happened where the Joseph plant was actually struck by lightning and caused a bunch of the equipment to fail and was irreparable and the cost of putting it all back together again was uh, too much for that business to bear. It was an independent electricity producer. And at the same time, Bonneville Power Association had been developing the dams on the mainstream Columbia and providing power to rural areas across Oregon. And a huge part of those dams being built was really about rural electrification. The Rural Electrification Act was actually the congressional legislation on the federal level that allowed those dams to be built and all all this infrastructure to go in for rural Oregonians. And at that time, in the 50s, they were able to bring in power from the dams to Willow County. And that was the first time when Willow County actually started importing power uh, from, from other producers outside the county. So for the first four decades of electricity in Willow County, it was all locally owned and operated hydropower. Mm-hmm. And then after BPA came in and the county continued to grow, a number of mills went in and they're actually were some additional hydro projects that went in off Sheep Creek. Eventually, that Joseph City plant was operated again. So, you know, long story short, Wallow County has uh, a pretty long history, over a century now, of hydropower production. And a majority of that's been locally owned and operated. And so it's really what we're trying to do here with CSI is really nothing new. Okay. So it seems to me that microhydro is a great source of renewable energy, and it's something that this county has been utilizing in different capacities, both past and present. Now remember, one of the goals of CSI is to help people through the permitting, financing, and physical construction of a microhydro project on their property. For instance, in partnership with Energy Trust of Oregon and Pacific Power, CSI completed a microhydro facility at Wallowa Lake State Park that offsets about 85% of the power needed to provide reliable drinking water to nearby Wallowa Lake residents and businesses. CSI and Energy Trust of Oregon also teamed up to help local residents, Vern and Marty Spar, install two hydro plants on their ranch. But for the average local landowner, how feasible is it to install a microhydro plant on your property? I'm sure most landowners in the area would say, easier said than done. I know I would anyway. I wanted to get a first-hand account of what it actually takes to build and operate a microhydro plant on one's property. For any landowners listening out there, is microhydro an attainable option? I decided to reach out to our resident expert in the county, Vern Spar. Vern and Marty own a ranch near Lostine, Oregon, where they've been utilizing microhydro energy for the past 20 years. Vern is incredibly passionate about microhydro, and Matt told me he's the person to talk to about all this. 
So I called him up and asked him if I could come out and see the property. On my way to go see Vern Spar at his ranch. I'm super excited. I've been Vern and I have been dancing around doing this interview for I think like two or three months now. So it's about time we met in person, and I'm excited to see his hydro project. I arrived at the Spar Ranch on a bright and sunny day last spring. Driving up to the house, the first thing you notice is that there are a lot of vehicles. Vern and Marty run a repair shop on the property, specializing in diesel trucks. The business, SPS of Oregon, employs seven people with customers coming from all over the Pacific Northwest. Vern is an older gentleman with a big smile and a cheerful persona. He's used a wheelchair for the past 36 years, but it hasn't slowed him down. Vern is a hard worker and seems like the type of person who could never stand to fully retire. Well, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? When did you and Marty come to this property? Well, I, I was born and raised in a remote ranch in eastern Montana. Mm -hmm. And uh, I grew up without power, without running water. We farmed with horses. Uh, the day after uh, high school, Marty and I got married. I went into the military. I spent uh, three years in the military. 18 months of that was in Korea. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so then immediately after I got out of the service, I bought an old backhoe and a cat and went into the excavation business. And from that, we graduated up to heavy construction, building logging roads and, and, mm -hmm. uh, uh, and logging. And then I got hurt in 1985. A tree fell on me and I broke 17 vertebrae. Oh, only and, 17. And That's so nothing. It <laughs> slowed me down a little bit. But yeah. we, we had always talked about moving to Eastern Oregon to uh, retire on a ranch. Well, you don't ever want to retire. When Vern and Marty first moved to the ranch, they raised sheep, then cattle. His daughter and son-in-law lived on the land too, and now his granddaughter raises cattle on the property while Vern focuses on the repair shop. Vern has always had an interest in hydropower. Though he was never personally involved in a hydro project until moving to Ulao County, he always wanted to buy land and install his own plant. Vern and Marty picked the perfect place to see that dream realized. Their property sits on a slope with an irrigation ditch running right through the heart of it. I always uh, dreamed of having a property where I could say, hey, I'll, I'll do it myself, my way. Mm -hmm. And this property just happened to lend itself towards um, that type of project. And all of our property is on an incline. You have to have gravity pressure to generate power. And I've always been interested in this, so I says, we'll try it. Mm -hmm. That's when I installed an antique belt and wheel. Then we upgraded it 15 years ago. Vern had a vision for his land, and he actually installed the first version of his microhydro plant himself. At an auction, he bought an antique pelton wheel, an impulse-type water turbine. 
He got all the proper permits, installed a pipe to pressurize the ditch water, and got his microhydro plant up and running. The project did work, but the Pelton wheel was too big for the job it was doing, and therefore not as efficient as it could be. That's how well our resources got involved. I put a, an antique Pelton wheel in here probably 20 years ago, just because I like antiques and, and the possibility of generating some power. Mm -hmm. And uh, it did actually function. It was 110 years old. And then an uh, individual by the name of Ben Henson, who has been involved with Wallow Resources, mm -hmm. I sold him a vehicle. And on the way up here to do some paperwork, he seen the antique Pelton wheel. And he advised me that that's his vocation. He installs Pelton wheels all over the world. And so he said, he thinks we need to put a more efficient unit in here. And after a conversation with him, we agreed to install a new, uh, a new Pelton wheel. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did install that about 15 years ago. And uh, it has been working every since. The microhydro project on Burns' property was so successful that just five years later, CSI teamed up once again with Energy Trust of Oregon to help Vern and Marty build a second microhydro plant on their property. Vern's projects uh, were the first two projects we put in in Willow County, and they basically use water that runs through an irrigation ditch that loses about 140 feet of elevation in the first year, and then about 110 in the next year. And so we were able to put in one project and it worked so well right at his house uh, and the ditch continued to run down his property. And so right before it left his property and went onto the neighbor's property, he was able to put in another hydro plant and they generate between the two plants, they generate about 100,000 kilowatt hours a year, which is you know about the equivalent of 10 households. And for their property, they're... They have a business on site and they, they use much of the electricity for that business and then also end up doing all their home heating. There are two different homes on the property. And so they're just net metering that electricity on a one-to-one -one basis with the utility. We don't make money out of it. We save money by not having a power bill, but we don't, we're not generating power to sell. Mm -hmm. So you're basically just sustaining your own property. You don't have a power bill. Right, right. Um, and then any excess power you make, it's donated to people who yeah. need help yes, paying their yes. bill. Anything that we generate extra, which we do sometimes, goes to charity to help people that can't pay their power bill and have problems like that. So we're happy to do that. But we're also happy not to have a power bill. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Not having a power bill, especially on such a large property with multiple buildings, is wonderful, as is helping others in need and lowering your carbon footprint. But are there any downsides to doing this? Does it take a lot of time and money to maintain a microhydro plant? Really, this has been very, very efficient. Uh, in 15 years, I've had to uh, put on two belts that drives the generator. Mm -hmm other than that, grease it once a month. 
and it's just very, very low maintenance. Mm -hmm. so. And what about the time and money it takes to build a project on your property? So would you say that the process of like getting a microhydro plant put on your property is long and difficult? Is it fairly easy? Was, you know, was there guidance kind of throughout? You have to be persistent in life to do anything. I mean, and, but uh, it's very doable for anybody. And particularly working with Wallow Resources that are very helpful. Wallow Resources is a, is a big plus. Uh, knowing what they know. Mm -hmm. and, and if you were totally unversed on hydroelectric and said, I want a plant, it'd be a major obstacle for the average person. Where would you start? Mm -hmm. See, so somebody like Willow Resources is a big plus because they can tell you what you have to do. And um, So if somebody wanted to put a microhydro project on their ranch, for instance, what would that process be like? Would they come to you? Would they have to pay out of pocket? Like, what are the options for them? So we uh, we have a really outstanding partnership with Energy Trust of Oregon uh, to support these sorts of microhydro projects. Uh, and so what we can offer to folks is basically an initial evaluation for free. And that starts with a phone call, talking really with Joe Basil, our project manager, uh, and and Joe's great at at really being able to tell sort of off the bat if if there's the potential of a project and if there is we we can offer a preliminary scoping study usually at no cost assuming that it falls in with Energy Trust's requirements and that basically will detail kind of our our initial estimate of of what the project costs would be what the generation would be what the financial gain in terms of the energy produced would be for the landowner, rancher, farmer, and and we make a recommendation. And, and if we make a re recommendation to proceed at that point, then there's a, a minimal upfront cost for the landowner. It's usually a thousand bucks that allows us to tap into energy trust monies up to about $20,000 for permitting for all the feasibility analysis for engineering and basically shepherding that project through all the the hoops you have to jump through to where it's ready to be built mm -hmm. uh, grant funding all that stuff so we we are pretty much a turnkey developer if there's a viable hydro project just to clarify the landowner would put up a thousand dollars up to a thousand dollars and then the rest would be covered through grants and that sort of thing or that's right. Okay. Up to up to the point of implementation. Certainly, mm -hmm. once you actually build the project, uh, then there is a financial contribution that needs to come from the land. But all of the hoops, and that's the Energy Trust program is really meant to limit the risk to a landowner for these sorts of projects. They're aware that there are some challenges to developing small hydro. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that's probably one of the main things stopping people from putting a micro hydro project, they might just think, well, that's going to cost, you know, thousands of dollars. I can't do that. And so, yeah. Or it's going to cost thousands of dollars before I even know if I can yeah. build it. Having a financial safety net during the early stage feasibility studies of an energy project is a big deal. Just a quick note on Energy Trust. CSI's relationship with this organization is crucial to getting this work done in the county. 
Energy Trust does a lot to get potential project owners over that significant first hurdle, ultimately making it easier to get these projects installed. They're an independent nonprofit working to invest funds that help utility customers all across Oregon improve energy efficiency, generate renewable power, save money, protect the environment, and strengthen the economy. And by investing in renewable energy projects on behalf of utility ratepayers, they're helping customers and communities become more resilient. By partnering with utilities, community leaders, and community-based nonprofits like CSI, Energy Trust is able to support projects like Fern and Marty's hydro plants all across the state. For another landowner, rancher, farmer, somebody who maybe has water flowing through their property, mm-hmm. would you recommend doing this to those people? Like, is it, is it I worth would say, it? I would say yes, because uh, it's an environmental plus. And the type of system we have is so simple, so efficient. But... but uh, it has to be the right, right piece of property. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lowell County has lots of potential. Of course, it's easy to understand why microhydro is such a great asset to our community. But one thing I noticed about CSI is that their goals go a bit deeper than just wanting to provide the county with renewable energy. They care a lot about building resiliency and offering people alternative sources of power. Why is it important to have locally owned and operated resources? So locally owned and operated resources are super important. I mean, keeping energy dollars local is really a mantra for us. When you spend, you know, a dollar on your energy bill and it it goes to a gas plant or a coal plant or something that doesn't really drive any benefits in the community. When we have locally owned and operated projects, there's you know, a direct capital contribution of the initial construction. We work with local contractors to build the project. And then there's ongoing maintenance and operations, and all those monies stay local and support local jobs. There's an education component. So with these projects, there's opportunities for kids to go out and, and visit these projects and learn about green energy and, and microhydro and, and water. And then there's also opportunities for for on-the-job training. So going and learning how to, you know, tie in a a hydro project or a solar project to the grid uh, is skill, you know, are skills that uh, can really translate into into real jobs. And that's something that we, we really focus on in terms of the economic benefits. And then, you know, there's really a, a pretty significant uh, resilience benefit that's both in terms of like the immediacy of a disaster or a wildfire. And to be clear, you know, none of our projects to date are really designed to be able to run when the grid goes down, but that's definitely something that we're working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we want to be able to in, in a catastrophic wildfire where there's no power coming into the County, we want to be able to still keep the hospital running, keep the grocery store running, uh, you know, keep the sheriff's office running, city hall, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so these locally owned and operated resources can be tapped with the right infrastructure to serve that purpose, to be able to keep the lights on in in emergencies. The last important piece of, of the puzzle is just really that we, you know, we have the opportunity to, to go back to where we were at the beginning of the century and own and operate all our own electricity. And there's just sort of a 
a spirit of can do itness and um, getting her done that we we are really compelled by as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine a sense of pride too in, within the community. Yeah, absolutely. Burns' journey with Microhydro is far from over. He serves on the board of a local nonprofit called Creating Memories for Disabled Children, whose mission is to lift spirits and change lives. They work to provide meaningful outdoor experiences, such as hunting, camping, and fishing for special needs children and their families. Creating Memories is currently working to turn an old Boy Scout camp at the head of Ogawa Lake into a handicap-accessible camp for kids. BC Creek, a steep mountain stream, flows in at the camp, and Vern is volunteering his time to help Lower Resources and Energy Trust of Oregon build a microhydro plant that would provide free electricity to the entire camp and allow the kids to learn about hydropower. I think Fern is an inspiration. Here's a guy who, 20 years ago, saw the potential to produce his own power, and he just went for it. He didn't have any help from Wallow Resources or Energy Trust at first. He was just really determined, and he made it happen. Fern told me that it was a lot of effort and paperwork, but that the process is much easier nowadays. I do own a house now, but I certainly don't have enough land or any semblance of a water source to operate a microhydro plant. And that's okay. What I can do is meet with Joe Basil, CSI's current renewable energy project manager, and ask for his advice. CSI and Energy Trust of Oregon are devoted to helping residential homeowners maximize their energy efficiency. I would love to add solar panels to the roof of my house or shop someday, and I know that Joe would be there to walk me through the process. CSI can help you too. If the primary heat source in your house is electric, you can schedule an in-home assessment where Joe will come out and inspect things like your windows, insulation, and appliances to help you lower your power bill and carbon footprint. And while most people can't be like Vern completely without a power bill, everyone can take a few small steps at a time in the right direction. Thank you for listening to the Wallowa Resources Podcast. This episode was sponsored by Energy Trust of Oregon. If you would like to learn more about renewable energy or what Energy Trust is doing to help Oregonians, visit energytrust.org. And if you're interested in pursuing your own energy project or scheduling an in-home assessment here in Wallowa County, check out CSI at wrcsi.com. If you would like to learn more about Wallowa Resources as a whole, visit our website at wellourresources.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can get to know our programs, staff and board members, partners, and learn more about upcoming events. If you would like to support Wellour Resources, you can make a donation through our website. As a nonprofit organization, we couldn't do this work without the support of our community, and for that, we thank you.